Everybody has a story. You do, and so do I. For many of us, our story for the last year would contain some form of these words. I'd been hoping. I'd been hoping that this year we'd be able to have a normal spring break. We had a big wedding plan for May and we were hoping that the restrictions would be lifted. We all know that if you live long enough, I'd been hoping can take on an even more tragic meaning. We'd been hoping to raise a family and have wonderful children and have a long life. And then the doctor said, we've been hoping to do great things in this world. But then I lost my job and now I just feel like such a failure. I've been hoping, but there's this habit that I just can't seem to shake. It's got me in its grip. And pretty soon, hope feels like a story that only ends in tragedy and disappointment but not on Easter. On Easter, the story gets a whole new ending. And I believe your story can as well, because no matter what you think about God, God can't stop thinking about you. And on Easter, God showed the world what He thinks of us and what He wants for us, a life full of hope and joy and love. And that's what we're gonna be exploring in this video. Hi. My name is Heidi, and welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. For followers of Jesus, Easter is the whole deal. It may not seem that way in our world because Christmas gets a whole lot more publicity, but for Christians, whether or not the historical event of Jesus' resurrection actually happened or not, it's the only thing that matters. It's what our entire faith rests upon. And you may know the story of Easter morning, the women at the tomb, the empty grave, but this year, because the story we find ourselves in I want to tell you one of the accounts from the first Easter that it just isn't talked about a lot. It was told by a writer named Luke who tells about Jesus' life, but this story doesn't happen early on Easter morning. It happens later in the day. And often hope is sort of that way. Sometimes your hope is fulfilled early, but sometimes your hope seems to come late. For this couple that we look at today, it came late. And maybe for this story, it has something to say to you about our story these days. Here's how Luke shares their story. That same day, the same day as Jesus' resurrection, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but they were kept from recognizing. Now. Already, this story is really interesting. These two people are walking, and they're part of this tiny little community of people following Jesus. Luke tells us in the next sentence or two that one of them is named Cleopas. Now, another writer about Jesus' life is the disciple John, and he tells us that a woman named Mary, who was the wife of Clopas, was one of the women who stood with Jesus' mother at the cross while he was being crucified. A current biblical scholar, Tom Wright, has written about this story, and like most scholars, uh, he concludes that these two people on the road to Emmaus 
are that husband and wife, Cleopas or Clopas and Mary. And as they walk, they're trying to come to grips with what they've experienced in the last few days. And, and I just love the honesty of the Bible uh, when it describes their inter interaction. Uh, Luke uses the word that could be translated, they were disputing with each other. <laughs> uh, there, there was some tension between these two. Now, some of that tension between the husband and wife that they talk about, uh, you can imagine the tension could have been because they're both followers of Jesus, and when he dies, uh, it's just the, the woman, Mary, that is mentioned at the tomb. There's no mention of her husband being there. I'm totally speculating on this, but maybe that's part of why there's tension between them. And they're trying to figure out what's happened and what they're doing. And while they're doing that, this stranger comes up. Now, we're told that the person is Jesus, but they are somehow kept in the dark about his identity. And for some time, we really don't know how long, the stranger just walks with them. Now that might str seem strange to us, but it wouldn't have been uncommon for them to share the journey with somebody else. And maybe they're so engrossed in their conversation, they don't even notice that he's there. But eventually he asked, hey, what are you two discussing uh, as you walk along? And the question, it seems to catch them off step. Uh, we know for sure it stops them in their tracks and they can't hide their disappointment. It's written on their faces. One of them named Cleopas asked, are, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Where does that response rate on the snarkiness meter? Dude, have you been living under a rock? Are you the only one coming from Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been happening the last few days? At, at which point Jesus could have gotten a wise remarking of his own and said, well, actually, I was at the crucifixion and I just came from the tomb. <laughs> but he didn't say any of that. He, he wants to hear what they have to say. What things, he asked? About Jesus and Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I mean, they're telling their story. And at the heart of their story is these words. But we'd been hoping, we, we had hoped. I mean, those are poignant words like, Maybe you feel about your story. They feel like their story, it's gone all wrong. So it might be important to pause here and help you better understand the story that these two people find themselves in because it relates to your story. Their story was defined by being a part of the people of Israel. They had a destiny. The story of their people wasn't about them. They were to be the servants, the shining representatives of God, of good and hope on the earth. They were to tell all the nations, all ethnic groups about the great God who was for them. But their story had gone all wrong. Their story as they saw it was just suffering. From the beginning of the nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt and from that, it just goes on from one to another after another oppressor. The Philistines, Syria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece, and Rome. And it was like their story was in search of a great ending. And then Jesus came along, and he was a prophet, and he was powerful in word and deed. He said things nobody else ever said. He did things nobody else had ever done. and. Some began to think, they hoped, 
he would set their story right. They thought he would lead some kind of revolution and would overthrow oppression of the enemy and make their people prosperous and great so that all the world would know that Israel's God was ruler over the universe. One week earlier when they came into Jerusalem, just one week before, it's like everyone finally sees what they see. Jesus is king. He's God's appointed man. And the crowd treats him as such. And then in just a few days, it all goes so terribly wrong. And Jesus is hanging on a cross dying. Now, you have to understand, no one expected this. It's not just that he died. He died on a cross. That meant, by definition, what they were hoping for was not going to happen. He was not the Messiah. Crucifixion was what Rome did to demonstrate to rebels that this person is not your Messiah. I know you were hoping, but you can't win. Caesar is king. Get used to it. This is the story they found themselves in. But then Easter happened, and Easter proved they didn't know their story at all. There was once a couple who had been married for more than 60 years. They shared everything with each other, or so the man thought. But then came the day when they got the news from the doctor that said that the little old lady had an illness that she would not survive. As she got sicker, one day from her bed, she told her husband to go to her closet and retrieve a box. When he got it and opened it, he found two crocheted dolls and a stack of money that totaled $95,000. He said, what is this? She said, when we were married, my grandmother took me aside and said the secret of a happy marriage is never argue when you're angry. So when you are angry, crochet a little doll before you decide to discuss the problem. The little old man began to cry. All of those years and only two little dolls in the box, only two little interruptions to their 60 years of love. And in that moment, he loved her even more. He said, honey, that is amazing. That explains the two dolls, but where did all this money come from? She said, oh, well, every time I made a doll, I sold it at the craft fair for $5. You see, we think we know our story, but we don't know our story. One day, you will find out what your story is, but you don't know what it is right now. One day, you will wake up and see, I'm in a different story. I'm walking down a road I never thought I would be on. That's just the human condition. But what happens when you find out that you've been getting your own story all wrong? Because the life that you lead will flow out of the story you believe you're living. And everybody's got a story, and every story is looking for an ending. So Jesus walks a little further with this couple, and they tell him the strange reports that they've been hearing about uh, the women and the tomb, and they heard that the body was gone and that they had seen an angel. They even heard some of the men went as well, and that the tomb was empty, like the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And, and it was just like the world had gone crazy. So they're going home with their hopes dashed to, to finally face reality. And then the stranger says to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe. Now, I know to our 
ears that seems really unkind. And they're pouring out their disappointment to him. And he says, wow, are you two not very smart and not very faithful, losers? I mean, he's not insulting them. He's trying to get their attention. He's saying, hey, hey, wake up. You're not in the story that you think you're in. So let me tell you how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them that what he was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, wouldn't you have loved to be in on that conversation? So Jesus says, let me tell you a story. The story of the Bible goes like this. It, it's a story of suffering. It's as old as the world, as old as sin, as painful as death. It's a story of suffering, and not just suffering. I mean, there's joy too, but it's joy that comes out of suffering, joy that lives in the middle of suffering. And at the heart of this story, the primary character is this joyful, suffering God. On him falls the weight of a wounded world, a world that's gone wrong. And we all know it. We have different names for it. We've all seen it. The Bible says that at the core of this is this problem called sin. And so God chooses this one people called Israel, and he says, I, I want to have a group of people who come to know who I am and, and come to know what I want for life. And he would have a people called prophets, and they'd paint this picture of shalom, which it just means peace or wholeness. Really, it's the way the world's supposed to be when sin doesn't have it by the throat, a place without injustice or or greed or loss or oppression, a place where things are the way that God wants them to be, a place where his kingdom reigns on earth as it is in heaven. He wants Israel to be this little vehicle for the expression of this wholeness and peace. And because people are kind of wired up this way, we figured that what that meant was that God would be vindicated when God's people were great, that like other nations, to, to find greatness. This is how folks thought in the ancient world. Every nation has a God or gods, and they figured that if the nation went great, then that showed that their God was great. So everybody thought when God's people are great, when they have a great story, a great army, a great wealth, great power, secure borders, vast empire. I said it's the way that the ancient world thought, but now you can see it's the way we still think. I mean, this is our story. When you have it all, when you make it to the top, when you succeed, well, the ends justify the means. You must be right. You have the life everybody wants. It vindicates your story. The problem for God's people was their story wasn't any of that. Their people suffered. They were slaves and then they were set free and then they were conquered and they were oppressed and they were exiled and over generations, over, over centuries, they suffered in exile. And in a little group of people not very many, just a remnant. Some prophets would come with the idea that it would be in faithfulness to God in the midst of suffering, that they thought their calling, that their destiny would finally be fulfilled. That, that was their story. It's, it's like from the beginning, there's this world and there's this wonderful God who loves it so much and then sin messes everything up. And it makes us all small and narrow and the story gets smaller 
and it comes down to Israel, and then it gets smaller, and it comes down to a little remnant, and finally, it comes down to just one man. And the stranger says, now think about all of that. Think about this one man. What if the depth of his suffering actually confirms his identity instead of disproving it like the world thinks? What if the crucifixion is not Rome's defeat of Jesus like the world thinks, but God's defeat of evil and sin and guilt? He explained to them, did not the Christ have to suffer? What if all the history, this whole story gets squeezed down as small as one man, as small as the opening of a tomb, and now that man is squeezed out the other side? And inside of them, they're going crazy while he talks. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Maybe. It was in that moment they saw his hands and they saw the scars that the nails had made. It happened in his brokenness that they saw him. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were, were not our hearts burning within us while he, he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then they saw, they saw the, the whole story of suffering, but not just suffering, it's not just that in Jesus, God suffered. It's also that in Jesus, God triumphs. In Jesus, God has triumphed over our sin, triumphed over our guilt, triumphed over our failure, triumphed over our confusion, our regret, our problems, our death. So that for you, whatever road you're walking down, whatever darkness you're facing, whatever regret you may carry around, defeat does not get the last word. Sin. Death does not get the last word because the same Jesus who was crucified by Rome did not stay crucified. He was raised up by God from the dead in the greatest act of power in human history. And when he was raised up, every hope of every human heart was raised up with him. For Christ has risen. He's risen indeed. And that's what they saw in that moment. The very first couple in the Bible is a couple named Adam and Eve, and somehow the whole story of humanity gets taught in their story. They are made by God, loved by God, but then they decide they want to live their life apart in rejection of God. And there's a line in their story that says, when they rejected God and did what he'd said not to do, we are told that their eyes were open, but for them, it was a horrible opening. It was a kind of blindness. As they rejected God, their eyes opened to darkness and envy, greed and hatred and oppression and injustice and apathy and hoarding, guilt and shame and death. And they leave God's presence, life away from God. This is our story. And generation after generation, this is the human story. Until one day, a man came and walked among us, and another couple received from the hands of the suffering crucified Son of God, and exactly the same phrase gets used, their eyes were open. And now they can see it all. The suffering love of God and the hope of a risen Savior. And this isn't some ancient, long ago, far away kind of story. For 
2,000 years, God has been weaving the stories of ordinary people into His story. Pam was very confused about the whole God thing growing up. One of her parents was Catholic and the other one was Jewish. So when she was a little girl, she would go to synagogue with one, and when she'd get home, the other would make her say the rosary to ask forgiveness for going to synagogue. So when Pam got old enough, she wanted nothing to do with God. That religious mess was just the tip of the iceberg of mess in their household. So Pam started drinking when she was really young. By the time she was 16, she could drink anyone under the table. By 21, she was married. Eventually, she'd be married five times. Her life got so out of control, out of desperation, she finally went to an AA meeting where she was supposed to turn her will and her life over to a higher power, but she still wanted nothing to do with God. So because the actual wording used is turn your life and will over to a higher power as you understand it, she said, I'll choose my own higher power and I'll name him Ralph. So she turned her life and her will over to Ralph and it wasn't working out very well. And then one night, a guy comes into a meeting and he's in really bad shape. He smelled bad, he looked bad, but at least he was there. And he got up and said, hi, my name is Ralph and I'm an alcoholic. And Pam's story shattered in that moment. She thought to herself, that ain't my God. She didn't know it, but she was on the road to Emmaus. It wasn't too long that a stranger came alongside her and said, Pam, I will give you a different story if you want it. I'll give you a better ending. And she took it and Jesus opened her eyes. What Jesus did for Pam, he did for me. He can do for you too. I, I don't know your story. I don't know how it's going right now, but I know this. If you live long enough, you'll get disappointed. I know if you live long enough, you suffer in ways you didn't see coming. And it'll confuse you and it'll make you wonder, where's God and, and whose story is this? this? This isn't what I had in mind. I'd been hoping, but I've been hurt. I get so anxious. I, I feel so all alone. I, I fail so badly. I disappointed so many people. You know, everybody has to choose what story you're going to live by. And if you listen to our culture, it'll give you one. Just be successful. It's all about, you know, what people have always thought. That's about money, power, health, wealth, prestige, status. The problem with that is even if you make it, eventually you die and they bury your very attractive, successful, wealthy corpse in the ground. So a lot of people will tell you, there's no big story. There is no meaning. And anybody that tries to tell you that they're just blowing smoke and grabbing for power, this all means nothing. You're just here by accident. You live, you die, who cares? The problem with that is, what are you hopeful? What, what do you do with, with meaning? And then there's Easter. And for 2,000 years, Christians believe that Jesus has been taking the unlikeliest little stories and weaving them into his great big story. And one thing I know for sure, you aren't here by accident. You're loved by God who cares about you more than you can imagine. 
Your story gets all messed up, all fouled up because our world's all fouled up. Mostly because of this basic problem of sin, of turning away from God. And we get it all wrong and we can't fix ourselves. And so one day Jesus came and he lived and he walked among us and he said things that nobody had ever said and he did things that no one had ever done. And he went to a cross and it looked for all the world like a death, like any other death, like that was the end of his story. But it turns out that when he was dying on that cross, he was dying so our world could be brought back to God for you and me to have a better story to live. And because it was Jesus who was crucified, he, he just couldn't stay dead. And, and so on the third day, he got up again. And for the last 2,000 years, he's been coming alongside people and opening the eyes of people and saying, hey, let, let me tell you another story. And your story could be a part of his story this Easter, if you want it to. And I'd love to help you with that. You can reach out to me at the number on screen, or you could go to our website, uh, cccanywhere.com, where you just click on the card that says, hey, join our Facebook group and take a step into our community. You can connect with some other people who are discovering all that Jesus has for them. Most importantly, I hope you'll take a step toward God and other people right now, because there's a better story for you than the one you're living right now. And, and Jesus wants to offer that to you, because no matter what you think about God, I promise you this, he can't stop thinking about you.